This is episode 42 of The Chick in Charge with CEO of All-in-One Security, Mary Parker. Today, Mary welcomes Karen Hardwick, advisor and coach to C-level and senior executives. Karen's approach to consulting is finding peace and purpose in our fast-paced business, social, and family worlds. She delivers sustainable results to clients like ESPN, UPS, Randstad, and Turner Broadcasting by adhering to a simple principle. The most effective leaders are those deeply connected to themselves in healthy ways. Join Mary for an enlightening discussion with Karen Hardwick. Welcome to the Chicken Charge. All-in-One Security CEO Mary Parker celebrates the success of women in the world of business and in life. Mary's own humble beginnings in rural Mississippi led her to become one of the only African-American females running a multi-million dollar security firm. She is definitely the chick in charge. Here now is Mary Parker. Hello everyone, this is Mary Parker, CEO of All-in-One Security and your host of the Chick in Charge podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. Love Our co-host can't do it without you. Love being here. Thank you. And Port, you know we rely on you for all the great sound. And today we've had such a tremendous guest list. And uh, we're going to conclude this session with Karen Hardwick. Karen, you are definitely the chick in charge. I'm so impressed with you, and I know that our listening audience will enjoy all and much more that you have to say today. So with that, I'm going to just let you, Karen, come right in, introduce yourself, tell our listeners what you do, and then we're going to get right into this. It's so wonderful to be here, Mary. Um, thank you, Sarah, too, for inviting me. Pleasure. I think I have the best job in the entire world. I absolutely love, love what I do. And what I do is I help executives and their teams become their best selves. Love it. Um, we have a model that's called the connected leader because we believe, my firm believes, that no one can truly be a leader and sustain the leadership in transformative ways without first being really connected to oneself. So the whole idea about leadership is learning more and more about ourselves so we can help those around ourselves to be everything that they can be. Wonderful. Wonderful. So go right into that, if you will. Well, what we have found over the 20 years of doing this is that people really do want to be their best selves. They oftentimes don't have a map, though, on how to do that. So as we've listened to our clients, as we've done the work on ourselves, we've come up with a model that we call the Connected Leader. It has seven attributes. And one of them that we're here to talk about today is curiosity. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. love it. And I read your book last night. Um, well, actually, let me back up. I read the first chapter okay. of your book last night because I couldn't get past the first chapter. It was so powerful. And as I read the stories about how you grew up and how your mother walked to pick cotton three times a day, five miles each way, all I could do is put the book down over and over again and say to myself, how in the world did she do this? And then how did she raise somebody 
like Mary. Mm. So I was curious about her, and I really believe that curiosity is a superpower. Wow, I, I appreciate you saying that. I so appreciate you saying that because I believe that as well. Uh, it's, it's not something, even those who have it, don't always exercise it because of the way they've been taught. You know, one example, um, as a little girl, we were being reared by our grandparents and the neighbors, shh, mm -hmm. ladies yes. are to be heard, seen and not heard. Right. Well, for a curious person like myself, well, what does that mean? So for me, it meant I need to ask more questions. <laughs> Because if I don't do it, no one else will ask the question. Yeah. So there was, yeah. there was that. Um, I think curiosity is also a place of having a need to know. The need to know why. Because that question remains unanswered in so many of our lives simply because we don't ask the question why. And I think we're taught not to ask the question why, Mary, through our very powerful cultural institutions. Absolutely. So we look at organized religion, and we looked at the educational system, and we look at families, and it's much easier for the people in charge, those in authority, to have the answers, even if they're the wrong answers, and to discourage questions because by discourage by discouraging questions we discourage self empowerment and so we have people worshiping answers instead of celebrating questions love love the concept right? absolutely karen and so i want to go back to my mom yeah i do um, too when i wrote the book i discovered that my mom was really a hidden gem mm. she was a hidden gem because she was, very, she was very confident in her own way, but she also displayed being very passive. Okay. And with those two, I wanted to know the woman behind all of the things that we're seeing. She was so much to so many, so many people there. In fact, uh, she was the example, not a great one. Uh, if I had to take that away from her, I would but it was necessary that she went through the things she did in order for her to raise a Mary Parker, which she will tell many that it wasn't easy because I was that one who had the need to know, as you read in my first chapter, with my aunt and with my grandmother. Uh, but I wanna stay on my mom for a moment here. My mother had nine children. I'm number two. And for years, as I grew up, because I, didn't, I never really lived with my parents for long periods of time, but as I'm growing up as a teenager and looking at my siblings, especially my sister before and after me, mm -hmm. um, I began to wonder more about why the difference. Why is there such a great difference between my older sister and my younger sister and myself? We have the same parents, same environment, all of that. And I believe I spent more time in discovering some of those things that my sisters would never, ever get out of um, the routine of doing. As an example, playing as a child, little girls played in country Mississippi where we were from. The games we played were cooking green, cooking grass greens, 
making mud pies, pretending that we were somebody's mother, you know, and those things, or thinking from a traditional perspective, when I grow up, I'll be a teacher, I'll be a secretary, and so forth and so on. That's not what I wanted to do, Karen. I wanted to do what the boys were doing because the boys were always elevated. They were always placed in a position of greatness. I didn't just want to do what the boys did. I wanted to do what the white boys did because I recognized there was privilege that was not afforded to the black boys. So I'm thinking, well, maybe if I learn more about them, I can be more like them and I can come back and help my, you know, my cousins and all of them be more like us. That was my thought as a child, but yeah. And it was the curiosity that was driving me. I wanted to know why, why were we different? Why do they have land? Why are we working their land? Why are my parents going, you know, in this angle? But I want to give it back to you because you're our interviewee today and we want to know a lot more about you and how what you do can be helpful to our listening audience. So here's my thought about curiosity. I'm listening to what you're saying, and it's not, Mary, as you know, just about asking the right questions. I really believe that there's a curiosity mindset. I would agree with you. And it also goes to having an open heart, because I believe that in order to be curious, you first have to be very comfortable with the ability to just listen and to be in the silence, not to jump in with an answer, and to be okay about making mistakes. To be resilient, to know what grit is, to encourage fearlessness, and taking huge risks. Now, all of that is kind of behind the scenes in curiosity. But it also, we have to be able to be empathetic. We have to be able to stand in the shoes of someone else if we truly want to know and learn from them, from a situation, uncover the wisdom that ex- that just lives in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. We have to be able to just realize that there are helpful questions. And there are also questions that really put people on the spot. And they become very defensive and withdraw at that point. Yes, and it feels like, I always say to our clients, we're not after you grilling somebody. We don't want people to feel like they're on the witness stand. And there are lots of questions and or phrases that will push people back on their heels. No, we're after asking questions that help people to hit the pause button open up and start asking themselves what they're capable of, what a business situation could become if it becomes more innovative, more disruptive. We want people to be comfortable when we're asking questions. Absolutely. I, I, and I've had to change my style over the years because, you know, in being curious and also I'm an investigator by trade, um, being in the male dominated industry by trade. Um, definitely, I was harder, much harder, a lot more confident, but harder. And I think that for me, I had to um, understand that my role and my behaviors as a CEO were different than the personality and the characteristics I exemplified as a budding entrepreneur. 
and I had, if I wanted to be respected as well as um, applauded, then I knew that I needed to get in tune with people around me better, more personable, because, you know, we're curious, but we also, I believe, spend a lot more time trying to figure it out ourselves as well. And so in learning to have faith and patience and be happy about whatever the decisions and knowing that certain decisions are not bad ones, but certain things, when we don't get our way at that time, definitely help propel us to the next level of our, of our being, I would yeah, say. Yeah, of our being, because I really do believe at the end of the day, leadership is a spiritual pursuit. It takes everything we have. It's a soulful venture. I'm talking about leadership that transforms other people. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many different kinds of leadership, but I think we're here talking about the kind of leadership that really makes us feel connected. And more and more research, I know you know this, is coming out showing how we are wired to connect, yes. that there's a whole neurobiology around connection. And it's as much of a pull for us to be connected as it is for us to feel safe and to have food and to have water. So it's a biological drive. And I had a, a young woman who works for our firm ask me the other day, what should I do? She had two choices to make. And it was a pretty easy choice from where I sat to let her make the decision. Because it really didn't matter what she did. What I wanted her to feel is the empowerment that came from me saying to her, what do you think? What do you think? And that is absolutely important with leadership. Um, and again, I like to use myself as the primary example in a lot of things that we're talking about today uh, because I know that I broke all the rules. <laughs> I broke all the rules. Some I rewrote and others I conformed. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, an, an executive leader, CEO of a company, the skill set, the leadership styles are so different with each individual. But we have to know when it's time to step back and listen and let them tell us. And we take those pieces and formulate it to whatever that something is. And we bring it back to let them know that we did hear them, but not just hear them. This is how we're responding to the information uh, that we discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think in order for us to be truly curious, what I've learned is we have to let go of a few really key critical pieces that in some ways we're erroneously taught are the way to be. So in other words, I think we have to let go of being right. I think we have to let go of trying to be in control. I think we have to let go of figuring out that if we have the answers, it means I'm powerful. And even if we take leadership, I think there's leadership in the boardroom and then there's leadership in the family room. Even if we take a look at parenting, I mean, how many parenting mistakes are made because the parent erroneously believes they have to be right? They have to be right. And Hallelujah. I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, I know I've been quiet over here. Hallelujah. Thank you. What do you, yes. what do you mean? I, all I mean is. is 
when um, my husband and I were very young, we definitely did that with the kids when we were when they were very young. And then at some point we just stopped because it was just like, what are we trying? It was control. So you so. felt safe. So you felt like you were in charge, right? The ki- the kids did not feel good. And that was what we had to let go of. And I think a lot of it came from the fact that we were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from grandparents and relatives. We had nobody, like we had no backup ever. So we were, we have to be right. There's no one, you know, we have to do it right the first time. But I loved that statement. Sorry, keep going. No, no, but that is that is a very good statement. And, and I use that now, Sarah, with my daughter. I only had one child. So when we are in discussions, I will say things to her. Well, I one didn't is have, a lot. Yeah, I will say things like, well, you're the only one I had to practice on. Right. So and if they I don't didn't care, get it right, they don't you. care. <laughs> so we laugh about that now because she has three girls. She says, Absolutely. "Mom, you should have had at least one more, and you would have known that parenting does change." Amazing. And so uh, going through watching the grandchildren is totally different. I believe that we become parents after we become grandparents because we then yeah. see that we cannot instill all of that control and yeah. all that we're more cooperative with the grandchildren than with our own. But what you said, though, being right Mm -hmm. and being in control. And I can go back to my childhood. Uh, We talked about my mom, but I'll talk about my dad here. Uh, My dad was very, very controlling of me. He knew that he couldn't give me not one ounce of freedom or the idea of thinking that he possibly was agreeing with me. He would never, ever, ever do that. I gave an example one day. um, I was in school at 11 years old. I skipped school during the Civil Rights Movement. We didn't have running water in our home, nor did we have, my dad didn't have a car, and we did not have a telephone. By the time I got home, my dad knew that I'd skipped school, and I was out there marching for civil rights. So you can just imagine how that storyline went once I got home and uh, because I I thought what I was doing was right well he thought what I did was wrong so you've got a child and you've got an adult here right with two different perspectives on the same issue and my dad won but here's the thing that I want to add my mom was very very gentle my dad nine children I was one of the ones that would say it was child abuse today Uh, But I don't feel bad about that. It's still good uh, to an extent. But I think if I would have conformed to my dad's way of thinking and how and who I should be, I would not, we wouldn't have this conversation today because I would have backed off what I wanted to see as a change in life. And if it's going to be, it's up to me. So the beatings didn't matter because the end the things that I saw as end results of what I was doing would be far greater. The whipping would last for a little while and I'd get up and brush it off and just get back to what I was doing. So curiosity, um, I think, also helped individuals to stay focused on themselves and what it is they want to do because others' opinions are not as critical when you're curious because you're going to seek more and I believe you will obtain more wisdom, more knowledge, 
and even um, mm -hmm. a, a greater sense of who you are through getting the information that you're looking for. Well, and I think that you're making a point that is really important for people to realize. I think curiosity begins with ourself. So we have to ask ourselves the really provocative, soulful questions like, what's in this for me to learn? Absolutely. My husband is very ill right now, and as it's so very heartbreaking to see what he's going through. And I am asking myself every day, what do I need to learn from this? Every experience that we have brings us closer to a discovery about ourselves, a lesson that maybe we didn't learn decades ago that keeps getting repeated until we learn yes, it. We know yes, how that goes. Yes. And so every opportunity, again, at the head of the conference table, at the kitchen table, around family dining rooms, when you're with your corporate teams, every opportunity allows us to kind of sit back and say, what do I need to learn about this for myself? How can this take me to the next level of emotional, intellectual, mental well-being? Great point. And uh, so with that, I'm going to ask you a few sure. questions. Go ahead. When you started out in life, what, what was the first job you had? And were you very, did you acquire that job because of your curiosity? I acquired that job because I wanted to earn some money. That's what I wanted to do. And it was babysitting, because that's what so many preteens did in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We babysat. I hated it. I learned very quickly that I didn't like being in somebody else's house. Ugh. It was I was bored. Yeah. I felt restless. And it was scary. <laughs> it was, it was scary. a huge responsibility. It was huge. Yeah, I was like 12 or 13. Yeah, yeah. And... And it was dark outside oftentimes. Yep. And so uh, that was my first job. <laughs> it wasn't a very successful. So how did that, and, and you, really, you remember that job I very vividly. Do. So you I'm knew sorry. that wasn't something you wanted to do. But did it, or how did it, help you in deciding what it is you wanted to do? I wasn't sure then what the form would look like, form of my job, but I knew t a few things. One is that I needed to be, wanted to be, quite frankly, in charge. And so even the forays that I had into corporate America for a number of years, I learned a tremendous amount. I also learned what wasn't working for me, so it pointed me more and more to the entrepreneurial <laughs> lifestyle. And I also knew that a gift that I had, the gift of empathy, the gift of insight and intuition that was honed by my family system because it was very important for me to be able to read the tea leaves and read people's behaviors. And my mother was terminally ill from a very early age in my life. So it was my job to take care of her. So all of those things came together for me so that I went to graduate school to be an Episcopal priest. How about that? Never got ordained for lots of different reasons. And then I went on to be a clinical social worker 
practice as a psychotherapist. So it all came together. I was always interested, curious, in what was helping people to thrive and what was getting in their way. So here I am as an executive coach, as a leadership um, consultant, helping people do that in the corporate environments. Wow, that is great. You mentioned earlier, and we only talked about curiosity, but there were seven steps. Seven attributes, seven yes. Seven attributes. And so would you like to talk about a couple more of those? At least give us the seven. Yes. Yeah, so and then hone in where you would like to. Yeah, because none of the seven, with curiosity being one of the attributes of a connected leader, stand alone. So they're all connected. They all come together, they're woven together, and they benefit from each other. So um, they are listens deeply, exhibits empathy, navigates chaos comfortably, which I think is a really important one, because as I say to my clients all the time, it's all chaos. So if we can't navigate the chaos comfortably, it really interferes with our ability to be a good leader demonstrates accountability and connects consciously. And I think that the three that mostly play into curiosity is listens deeply, because again, as we said before, you have to be able to be okay with silence, with not knowing, with listening to yourself. And the whole idea of listening deeply is tuning into that inner wisdom within ourselves and then exhibits empathy. When I talk about empathy, it's a very powerful ability to stand in somebody's shoes. Curiosity really helps us to be able to do that. How many times, Mary, have you had a conversation with somebody where they have not been able to tune in to your feelings? You might be able to do that for them. You might be very understanding of what they're going th through, but it's a one-way street. And the other thing about empathy is that it also has to be hand-in-hand -hand with the ability to have boundaries. Otherwise, those of us who are empaths can be too empathetic. We get empathy fatigue. So we have to be able to take care of ourselves even as we tune in to other people. Wonderful answer. Wonderful answer. Yeah, that is great. Sarah, did you want to chime in here? This is this is great. I'm really, really enjoying this. I um, was really listening to you when you were talking about how curiosity and empathy work together. Um, I'll say this. My, my siblings in my family have accused me of being empathetic. <laughs> they, you know... <laughs> They said, oh, you're always so empathetic, and you're too empathetic. Um, they think that empathy is a weakness. Mm. So I am very interested to hear what your opinion is on that, because I believe very, very strongly that being an empathetic person is tied to curiosity. Um, I think you have to be strong to be empathetic. And again, shifting your mental position and really thinking about, you know, 
what does that woman deal with every single day? Um, and again, my, my, in my family, I don't know why, um, they think that empathy is a weakness. I think it is, I truly, truly think that it is a gift and I think it's a strength. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't. Um, and I'll, I'll just say one more thing. My, um, my husband says this all the time. He's like, people, total stranger, you meet total strangers and they come up to you and they tell you their life stories. He was, he's like, why do they do that? Why does that happen? And I always think, because I listen to them. And I don't tell them to shut up and I don't walk away. And I don't say, you're not important. I listen. So I just wanted to just kind of touch on that because empathy has always been something that has been um, really important to how I see myself and a very valued uh, asset, I guess, for lack it of is. a better word. It, it, it's a tremendous strength. It really helps us to be able to be vulnerable help other people be vulnerable. It We're t finding out now that there are companies that are actually offering empathy training. Wow. There are CEOs publicly coming out and talking about how they meditate every day. Yep. And one of their goals is to become more empathetic. There's actually an empathetic index now that's measuring what companies, through their policies, through their advertising, through their cultures, are showing up as being empathy leaders. And I also want to say we do have to be careful. Right. Because we can over-index on anything. And the Greeks had it right when they said everything in moderation, right? I mean, even <laughs> empathy, because yeah. speaking for myself, I can be an empathy-holic. Yep. It can become unmanageable for me. If I learn to take people's energy into me like a sponge, right, as opposed to taking it through me as a channel. Got it. See, when I'm a yeah, channel, it passes through mm -hmm. me. We're all nodding at, at Karen. <laughs> yeah. When you're a sponge, you absorb, absorb, holds, absorb, and then right. you just, and then the sponge can't even hold it anymore. So we right. don't want that kind of empathy. We want the kind of empathy that empowers other people to fix their own problems, right. to feel heard so that they can then find the solution right yeah. otherwise we become so drained which is why I'm a huge fan of one of the most loving things that we can do is have boundaries yeah boundaries with a gate that flow we're not they're not rigid walls right but we have something hanging up in our kitchen that off that says we do the hard things and sometimes being loving requires that we do very hard things yeah Ugh. Okay, I got nothing here. I know this is this is so so powerful. You're good. You're really really good at this. Yep. And um, I wanted to just go back just for a moment. I want to talk a little bit more about my mom. Yeah. Um, you said something earlier, and that was how does this woman do all of this? Mm -hmm. And 
I think more of that now than I did as a child uh, because mom absolutely multitasked. Um, you talked about being about 12 years old when you were taking care of babysitting. I teased my older sister. If she and I would have started daycare services, she was eight years old and I was six years old and we were taking care of about six kids and my mom was that far away from home. We were in a village and no one was there, but my sister and I taking care of our younger siblings, but also some of the neighbor's kids as well. So my mom had to absolutely be a chick in charge. Mm. She knew everything that she had to do for the day from a family perspective. A career at the time was picking cotton. Um, and so when she went back to the fields every day, she outpicked every person who was there. She's the only one who left, and she took food back for everyone else. So I just imagine that they were sitting there waiting for her to come back. But I also think now the stress that had to have been in her heart, on her mind, about if anything happens to my children while I'm away, or what if I return home and the bears or the snakes, or we were attacked by something, because we were there in the midst of the cows, the mules, the horses, the snakes, everything. So now as an adult, I just wonder. It's amazing. Some of the thoughts that must have traveled through my mother's mind, um, not even to mention what she must have been thinking about for her children in the future when she'd never been exposed to anything. So you just wonder how all of that happens. And when people ask me questions like that, you know, Mary, you were in a community that didn't have a regular grocery store. You didn't have running water. You didn't have phones. How could you, how could this happen? Well, first of all, I'm a believer that before I was ever created, God knew. And as long as he knows, I'm okay with that. Um, but the other thing, not but, and the other thing there was I found my communities, and I'm not shared this with you, Sarah, I found my community in the clouds. Mm -hmm. I allowed my spirit to travel and be curious enough to want to know, where is that? How far away is heaven? That cloud is white. Does it have rain in it? Just asking all those questions, and then someday, because that's on my mind, I'm forever looking for those answers. And those answers to some of the questions as a childhood have indeed been answered. But it's because um, I didn't understand then that uh, it's just going to take time, honey. Just keep going at the rate you're going, and you're going to get some of those expected end results. And so the journey from whence we traveled, from whence we've come, is an amazing journey. Uh, we learn a lot. Empathy, I was, I'm probably that person, I'm hard as a rock over here, and I'm as soft as a feather over here. And so, you know, just over time watching that fulfillment, or under, oh, this is why I had to do this when I was a little girl. Oh, it's good I paid attention to Billy Frank, or I'm not sure that I would have ever gotten a degree. Just, you know, all of those <laughs> things that happened then, and now tying it back to a solution has been very, very amazing for me to watch 
how things have unfolded in my life. You know, um, one of my best mentors for curiosity is our 16-year-old son, because he has taught me so much about hitting the pause button, not rushing in with an answer, allowing him to find his own path. And he has said to me on numerous occasions, for all the people who get to a later stage in their lives and are struggling emotionally or spiritually, he says, how would their lives be different if they were more curious along the ways about how they could be their best self? So he's really amazing to me when he's, you know, focuses really confidently on looking at who he is and making sure that I also am looking at who I am. You know, oh, he's always wonderful. encouraging that for yeah, me, yeah. giving me feedback, telling me when I, you know, step over my bounds, you know, really helping me to realize, pull back, Karen, let him be curious, you be curious too. He sounds like a cool kid. He, he sure does, and, and it's also very helpful to have those kids around. Oh, my goodness. In so many ways. Yep. Best so many teacher. Ways. Yes. Best teacher yes. in yep. so many ways. But we've got to be open to that, we too. We do. And it's not easy. It's not easy. You mentioned two things earlier. You mentioned um, um, actually giving other people permission. And I'm summing that up. When you, when you indicated that it's okay for us to pull away sometimes and give other people more control and authority in those lanes that we absolutely don't have to be in. That is a hard one. So how do you move your people from being in charge and in control, um, decision-making, how do you lead them from that behavior style into a more participative and letting others be as con in control of themselves and ideas as what we are. I have a great corporate example from that. We had clients who were very um, discouraged by their engagement scores. So engagements are engagement scores often measure the how deeply client not clients but employees are passionate about their work, feeling comfortable about their work, feeling really comfortable and good about their company. And one executive client that we had was just simply not happy about their engagement scores. And when we started to uncover the reasons behind that, it was particularly because the top leadership was not allowing their people to really feel like they had a voice in the process for decision making, for who they were as a team. And so what we did is we put together a process over six months, which allowed the actual key leaders to become much more vulnerable and transparent and self-aware and then they shared what they were learning about themselves with their people so it started to cascade down throughout the entire enterprise and then people on the lower echelons of the organizational chart if you will started to do the same process there were assessments there were sharings there were transparent kind of conversations and so this cascaded through the entire team. And when they did a retake of the engagement score six months later, 
the scores increased by 20 points, which is, which is a substantial. In six months. In six months. That's remarkable. And it was all because of the transparency, the vulnerability, the curiosity, the right. empathy that leaders started to role model, really started to believe in, and then that cascaded throughout the whole organization. Excellent. Excellent. I can absolutely see that as well. Karen, this has been so good. It's been wonderful, it's Mary. Been Thank you. I'm sitting here, and I know that I'm smarter today, Sarah, than I was when I came in here. I think I am, too. Yeah, yeah, you were. <laughs> Thank you, you. you. This has been marvelous. You're Thank very you, Sarah. Powerful, Thank you, Mary. Very powerful. I can, and I'm going to learn more about your organization and what you do and see where we take it from here. But this is not the last time we'll engage. Wonderful. Yes, I and I not. want you to tell our listening audience. I wish you guys could talk back today. I can feel it in the spirit. You've got lots of questions, but you got lots of good stuff today. Uh, and we're very grateful for Karen uh, being here with us today. Karen, would you just state how we can follow up with you? Yeah, so my website is www.karenjhardwick.com. My email is karen at karenjhardwick.com. And you can follow us on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, so it should be pretty easy to find us. There we go. And that will, and she will absolutely be a wonderful surprise, not to mention how absolutely knockout gorgeous you are. And you are dressed <laughs> for the nine today. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, thank Mary. you so much for being here. Sarah, thank you for today and, and my port. It's been a wonderful, wonderful day, and I'm glad I had a chance to spend time with each of you. For our listening audience, Please stay tuned. Uh, we're just leaving for today, but we'll be back. Subscribe to The Chicken Charge at thechickincharge.com. Get a free download of Mary Parker's Tips for Success. Tips that'll make short work of some of today's most challenging issues facing female business owners. Thanks for listening to The Chicken Charge.